And I'd like to review some of what motivated me uh, last summer to take this season, this fall season, to teach and preach on this subject. I think probably the, the main thing was that a recognition that Mountain View, this, this church community, is evolving into a church with a more and more varied representation of church backgrounds. As we, as we continue to grow, as we receive new members, some of us are longtime Presbyterians, perhaps, but some in the church have come from Catholic backgrounds or maybe Lutheran backgrounds, others from the churches in the Baptist tradition or in the free church tradition, maybe churches that have the word community in their, in their, in their name or uh, are characterized by being interdenominational or non-denominational, still others from charismatic backgrounds or Pentecostal backgrounds. We're all here together at Mountain View. And this is part of what makes this church so special, I think, is that we, we're, we're, a, we're a mix. So for over two decades now, as folks have come through and have taken our, our class, our Discovering Mountain View class, which is a membership class, I have emphasized a saying that is a saying from over 100 years ago. I think maybe it was Philip Brooks was the first person who articulated this. It's a saying that goes, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. How many of you have heard that before? Yeah, a lot of you have gone through our membership class and you've heard that. I believe this is a choice. It's a church culture that suggests that here, in this place, in our fellowship, there is not necessarily an expectation that we are going to agree on everything. And that's okay. Yes, there are essential, essentials of the faith. There are creedal statements. We find them in creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, some of the uh, reformed creeds that we have in our book of confessions, and that we, these are tenets of the faith, and we all agree on these things. But there are also non-essential areas where we may disagree and still hang out as one church, and it's okay. We do this in an attitude of love and uh, acceptance of each other and practicing grace. One of those areas is the, is the expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the worship life of our church. This is one of the areas where we may not all see things the same way, but it's okay. The sign gifts, as they're sometimes called, of prophecy, healing, ecstatic speech, and, and tongues. Now, Historically, Mountain View has not been a church where these gifts of the Spirit have been cultivated in the, in the setting of public worship on Sunday morning. 
But it's good to note that this does not mean that we think that they're unimportant or non-existent. Rather, we're choosing a direction for the worship life of our church. And I want to say this morning, this is a direction that is based on the teaching found in, among other places, the text that we just heard, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There is specific teaching here about the worship life of the church and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I believe Paul has been outlining some things here as a response to troubling developments in the Corinthian church. If you look back in the letter to chapter 11, verses 17 and following, it becomes clear that the Corinthians really needed some correction. There were things going on in the Corinthian church that were really bizarre, weird, out of bounds, out of control, chaotic, confusing. The bottom line, there were things happening in worship that were tearing them apart as a congregation. Things like abuses of the Lord's Supper. They were gathering for the Lord's Supper, and it involved actually a bit more food than what we have here. We, you know, we have a little piece of bread. Well, in the earlier church, they, the Lord's Supper would involve, would, would involve more food. And there were people who were gorging on the food in the Corinthian church and drinking so much wine that they were getting drunk in church. But the really sad part was that they were taking so much of the food based on the fact that they were kind of the more wealthy and more, uh, you know, the prominent leaders in the church that there were others who weren't getting anything. And they were calling this the Lord's Supper. I mean, it, it was crazy that this was happening. And this is, it's very possible that this was just one of several problems that were evident in the worship life of the Corinthian church. They had a lot of stuff going on that was just kind of bizarre and weird and, and irresponsible. So Paul is teaching, as he often does, with this letter, he's teaching them about the right way to do things in worship, having to do with the gifts of the Spirit. It's no coincidence that Paul repeats one word over and over again in this chapter. The word is uh, the word that we have translated as built up, oikodomeo. And it appears in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5, and in verse 25. And this is really significant because there are few things that can tear down the fellowship of the church more quickly than inappropriate or insensitive things happening when the church gathers for worship. Not just because of the actual worship event, but especially because of the disagreements that can result because of the things that are going on. So has anyone here ever been a part of a church where a disagreement or a controversy arose over worship? Yeah, I mean, it's immediately we start thinking of some of our past experience. If you have been here um, and not a whole lot of people have been here for 25 plus years, but if you've been here, you've experienced it here. 
It was about 1991, something like that. There was a big controversy over how Mountain View was going to worship. And it tore apart this church. It absolutely, about half of the people disappeared. It tore things down. And it often happens around worship and music. And this kind of thing has a long history. Many, many, many congregations have been ripped apart by disagreements over music. There's a famous Bible teacher, I think it might have been J. Campbell Morgan or someone like that, who once quipped that when the angel Lucifer was cast out of heaven to become Satan, the place he fell was into the church choir loft. <laughs> because that's often where things just explode in, in the church, in disagreements, in conflict over worship and, and music. It's the kind of thing that makes someone like Dustin really nervous at times. <laughs> it's sad, really. I mean, especially, I think, in an area of artistic expression where a major component is harmony. <laughs> you know? It's become the war zone of the Church of Jesus Christ. It's really sad. Really, really sad. So not only is it surprising how strongly folks feel about issues around worship, but it's especially alarming how quickly crises around these issues can break down the community of faith. It can happen just immediately. People start taking sides and we're in trouble. So here's Paul, and they're not necessarily talking about music, but he's talking about a similar struggle in the church having to do with the gifts of the Spirit. And he's emphasizing over and over exactly the opposite of tearing down. He's emphasizing building up. And he's likely responding to some news that the Corinthians have had a major disruption in their worship life. And you can imagine how they're arguing about it. And it's, and it's unraveling the fabric of their, their fellowship. So in a summary statement, he says in verse 26, what should be done then, friends? He's getting practical. What are we going to do about this? He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. <clears throat> and he goes on to outline how this is to work in their worship life. And he mentions tongues and actually takes some time to explain this, teaching them to make sure that if tongues are involved, that it's limited and interpreted. He says, at the most two or three, and make sure it's interpreted. What is going on here? I think the key element here as you have maybe already heard, is that God must be able to get through to them. God needs to be able to speak to them. What Paul is recommending here is that the purpose of the spiritual gifts and the church's worship is that something intelligent might be said. And something intelligent might be understood by those who come to church. Now, this is really important, folks. It's getting down to the very reason we're here in worship, in this room today. I mean, in a gathering like this, 
there are quite a few things that might happen. They've already happened today. You may enjoy the music. There's great music to be enjoyed in this church. You might find that it brings you closer to God. You might find yourself smiling or even laughing out loud over something someone does, especially one of the little ones. I had something happen today that was really, really funny. It actually happened just outside the door. If you come and ask me about it, I'll tell you. I'm not going to tell you about it right now. But you may be drawn in on Sunday morning to a place of worship and prayer. You may be encouraged. You may be comforted. I hope you are. But some of these things are building blocks for the, the faith and the life and the witness of the church. And some aren't. And they all happen on Sunday morning. I believe part of what Paul is saying here is that when a church gathers, we need to hear from God. And we are all each one of us here, we are all tasked with making sure that that happens. Whether it's being willing to share something or especially coming expecting God to say something when we're all together. So coming together with another agenda is not going to help. Especially if we come hoping to impress someone. Or if we come hoping to have an experience, maybe an ecstatic encounter with God, just for the sake of the excitement of the experience. And I believe Paul would say, in that case, we're barking up the wrong tree. It's not about having an experience, necessarily. Now, this is, and I'm going to be frank here, this is one of the downsides to being a church where the gifts of the Spirit are cultivated in, in worship. It's easy to begin to equate the experience, that tingly feeling, that emotion, with an authentic encounter with God. We may begin to think that our purpose here is so that we'll get goosebumps at some point this morning. We may begin to evaluate our worship service based on whether it feels a certain way. Wow, the Spirit was really present today, huh? I, I, have, I believe this is simply not what the Scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit. God wants to build up the church, to strengthen its mission, to improve its witness. And the main goal is not that people gathering have an emotional experience with the Holy Spirit. That may happen, but that's not the goal. Paul is crystal clear on this point. God has something to say. It's a word of encouragement or challenge or consolation. You see it in verse 3 of this text. And if we focus on ourselves and our experience, we're, we're like, we're in danger of being like noisy musical instruments, he says. Being played badly. Have you ever heard that? If you had kids learning how to play instruments in your house, you may know what I'm talking about. Imagine your child learning to play the Scottish Highland Pipes. You ever heard the Highland Pipes played? 
badly. <laughs> there, there's just, it's like torture. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates the beginning of verse 33. When we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. This goes for all the churches, no exceptions. End of quote. There are two words at the end of chapter 14 that have been taken as bywords of Presbyterianism, and you hear it when Presbyterians gather. We kind of tongue-in-cheek say this about ourselves. But they're important words nonetheless. It's the very end, verse 40 of our chapter. Decency and order. Oops. Presbyterians doing things decently and in order. Decency, Webster says, is behavior or an attitude that conforms to the commonly accepted standards of what is right and respectable. Decency. Order, defined. An organized condition with items arranged properly, neatly, or harmoniously. Decency and order. Friends, this is part of the heritage of, of this church. Paul is saying that when we gather for get together for worship, we need to keep in mind everyone who gathers, everyone who walks in the door, the guests in our midst, those who have questions, those who may feel like outsiders, those who don't know the lingo, those who don't necessarily get it. We need to keep everyone in mind. Those for whom predictability is important because their life is so upset outside the church. They come to the church as a place where things can be predictable. Everyone. Now, we can't always please everyone, but we need, as a church, we need to be thinking about that. We need to attend to the things that maximize communication from God and minimize confusion. But as with most things, it, it can be taken too far. In the name of order and decency, the worship life of quite a few congregations has been so tightly controlled so as to squelch all the life out of it, what you end up as a group of people sitting quietly together appearing more like the frozen chosen than the household of faith, built up, vibrant. I believe there's great wisdom to be found in a balance between too much order and decency and, and not enough. There's a sweet spot. And this brings us back to where we began this morning. To say we're a church that's interested in hearing from God. Even in ways that might seem a bit strange at first. We're seeking to be built up in our faith and our mission. If there's some chaos, because God brings a little chaos into our, into our worship life, 
We don't want to get freaked out about that. We want to keep asking the question, what is God really saying here? That chaos will only be temporary because we seek a word from God. So what do you bring today? In the words of the apostle, do you bring a hymn or a song? A lesson? A revelation? A tongue or an interpretation? What do you bring? This is a question I have often heard from one of my spiritual advisors. We sit down together and there's a, a time of quiet and then he says to me, John, what do you bring today? I think that's a good question to hear as we come into worship. What do you bring? You see, this experience that we're having right now is not all about what you get out of it. It's also about what you bring. You may not necessarily speak what you bring today. That's okay. You may sing it. I think most of you probably have sung something this morning, so you brought something. Good on you. <laughs> but what do you bring? Your devotion to God? To bring your offering? Your questions? Do you bring your life? Are you bringing your life to God in worship today? What do you bring? We all have a part in building up the fellowship. What's your part? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, join me in prayer.
sky too. 